this is Kevin Dobbs, Associate Markets Editor with Natural Gas Intelligence. Welcome to the Hub and Flow podcast. NGI is an independent news and price reporting agency focused on natural gas and LNG in the Americas, primarily the United States, Canada, and Mexico. I am joined today by NGI Associate Editor Andrew Baker, who, among other topics, has covered the Biden administration and its early efforts to hasten the energy transition. This includes Biden's recent Leaders' Summit on Climate, a virtual gathering with top officials from dozens of countries around the globe. We'll get into all of that and more. With that, welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Kevin. So first, why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the Leaders' Summit on Climate was all about? So the Leaders' Summit on Climate last week was sort of a prelude or milestone on the way to the upcoming UN COP26 climate change conference in Glasgow. President Biden convened this event and invited uh, world leaders from around the globe to sort of get together in order to underscore the urgency and importance of the climate crisis, particularly as the world is emerging from the pandemic and and energy demand is and emissions are, are starting to trend upward. So leaders from all the major economies showed up to to this event to sort of touch base and, in some cases, update their their commitments to cutting greenhouse gases using, as a baseline, the, the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement. Okay, great. So President Biden uh, made some commitments during the summit. Could you talk a little bit about what those were and what they might mean? Sure. So President Biden announced that the U.S. will, in fact, aim to double its greenhouse gas reduction commitments from the Paris Agreement. Now, in official parlance for these summits, these commitments are known as Nationally Determined Contributions, or NDCs. And so what President Biden announced is that the the U.S. will aim for a 50 to 52 percent reduction in greenhouse gas emissions versus 2005 levels by 2030. Uh, And like I said, this basically doubles uh, the United States' commitment from the Paris Agreement. And now in, in its latest, most updated NDC, Something I found noteworthy was that the U.S. government said that based on early estimates, uh, the United States is likely to have met and surpassed its original 2020 commitment for a 17 percent reduction by last year and that it's broadly on track to achieve a 26 to 28 percent reduction by 2025. And so that's good news in the sense that it means based on these estimates that were more or less on track to meet the Paris commitments. But the bad news is that the scientific consensus now is that we're going to have to do a lot more in order to avoid the worst impacts of uh, of climate change. So the new Biden targets are, are really aggressive. Correct. What about the other large emitting countries? Where do they stand as a group? So the United States was not the only country to announce that it was strengthening its commitments Canada, the United Kingdom, and Japan all announced significantly uh, strengthened commitments for for reducing emissions as well at this event last week. Other noteworthy announcements, South Korea, for example, announced that it will no longer finance overseas coal-fired power plant projects. That has been a huge point of contention, particularly among countries yeah, like such as South Korea or China, who have made their own climate com- commitments but continue to finance coal plants around the globe. China also participated in this event. Now, they did not strengthen their commitment last week. However, in December, they did announce that they were ramping up their ambitions and aiming to achieve carbon neutrality by 2060. 
And I think China is expected to strengthen its, its climate commitments at the upcoming Glasgow conference in November. Brazil was another interesting one. They, uh, President Bolsonaro announced at this event that Brazil is aiming for a net zero economy by 2050 and aiming to end illegal deforestation in the Amazon by, by 2030. So a number of interesting comments and commitments at, at this summit. Russia was another interesting one. Vladimir Putin uh, announced or, or sort of stressed the importance of, of getting methane emissions under under control, which is another important greenhouse gas and major contributor to, to climate change, as, as you know. So lots of lots of interesting statements at this event. Of course, now comes the hard part of actually uh, meeting those commitments. So statements and goals, but it seems like a major shift in tone from just a few months ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with Biden trying to put the U.S. out front as a leader on this, what specifically is he aiming to do in terms of meeting the new emissions reduction targets? Well, in our new NDC, we, uh, the United States laid out multiple pathways for achieving these targets in each of the major greenhouse gas emitting sectors of the economy. So what are these sectors? Basically, it's electricity, transport, buildings, industry, and then lands and agriculture. And the phrase that they've been using has been that they want to take a, quote, whole of government approach to accelerate things such as low carbon electricity, namely solar photovoltaic and wind. And in the wind segment, we're talking both onshore and offshore. In fact, the Biden government recently announced a goal to add 30 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030. Electric vehicles is another huge part of this equation. They want to reach 500,000 charging points for, for electric vehicles throughout the country, which will be a major increase, tightening vehicle emission standards for internal combustion engines. And interestingly, they also want the really ramped up the focus on renewable fuels, or namely hydrogen, which, which uh, they want to incorporate into the power generation mix, as well as transportation heavy industry, and carbon capture utilization and storage has also has also taken on a more prominent role. And sort of the the elephant in the room with all this is, of course, the, the, the challenge of getting through legislation on these issues, because, of course, the Democrats hold the slimmest possible majority in that they can in, in the Senate. So, so the challenge of actually putting some teeth behind these commitments via legislation is going to be the big challenge. But, you know, it's interesting when they use, when they talk about this whole of government approach, it seems that they really mean that. And I'll give you just one example. I mean, yesterday, the Department of Transportation issued guidance to its state counterparts to apply existing highway rights of way to transmission projects, because of course, adding new transmission lines is going to be really crucial to, to expanding the penetration of, of renewable power generation in this country. And DOT said that there are 20 shovel-ready transmission products that they're really aiming to accelerate deployment of through, through this guidance. So that's just one example of many of how they're sort of pulling every lever that they can through the different departments in the government to, to enact these goals without needing to pass legislation. Now, when it comes to legislation, we, of course, have uh, Biden's recently announced 
2.25 trillion American jobs plan, which is ostensibly a jobs and infrastructure plan, but climate and clean energy are really at, at the core of that of that piece of legislation as well. And I think a lot of observers are are looking to see if the Biden team will introduce legislation for a clean energy standard to establish a certain percentage of, of renewable energy in the power mix or a carbon pricing bill, which which would be is another measure that a lot of experts say is, is necessary. Interesting. OK, so a lot of long term possibilities here, but maybe thinking both midterm and long term, what are the implications for natural gas and oil? You know, it's interesting. I think for natural gas in particular, President Biden's climate agenda could, could turn out to be a big opportunity. Now, why is that? Well, first of all, natural gas has already played a big role in facilitating the, the energy transition and the reduction in carbon emissions from the power sector that I mentioned earlier, namely by replacing dirtier coal-fired generation. And natural gas will continue to do that both here in the United States and around the world. A recent study by Wood McKenzie found that even in a world where human-induced global warming is held to under two degrees, natural gas demand is likely to stay resilient. And a big part of that is fuel switching from coal to natural gas, particularly in China and and other developing countries in, in Asia. A recent study that just came out by Columbia University's Center on Global Energy Policy also made the argument of needing to modernize and expand natural gas, existing natural gas infrastructure in order to integrate these renewable fuels into the energy mix, particularly hydrogen, uh, because it's become increasingly clear based on the projections that, that these renewable fuels are going to have to play a major role and they're going to have to be you know blended into the natural gas mix but since hydrogen has less energy density than than natural gas this this would imply the need to expand the natural gas transport and and storage infrastructure and we've already seen some of the big players in the pipeline segments the kinder morgans and the williamses and the and the tc energies Companies of that nature are recognizing this this opportunity of, of integrating hydrogen into their extensive infrastructure networks. And again, that's relatively new as well. Exactly. Yeah, this is it, it's the the pace at which the will to to do this has ramped up has been really really impressive to see, and a huge shift even from just three or four years ago. And these companies in the in the hydrocarbon segment really seem to be getting on board with it. What is the oil and gas industry saying about the the climate agenda of Biden? It's interesting. So, you know, for example, you have the American Petroleum Institute, the the biggest lobbying group for the oil and gas industry in the United States. They have come out and said that they support the ambitions of the of the 2015 Paris Agreement, and that they would even support putting an economy wide price on greenhouse gas emissions. Again, this is a massive shift in tone that would have seemed inconceivable ju- just a few years ago. So they they are on board with the climate goals and they're really stressing, like I said, the role that the natural gas particularly can can play and in fact must play in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And again, like I said, the main elements for that are switching from coal to natural gas in the power sector. And then also one that I forgot to mention is of course, uh, you know, carbon capture and storage is another major part of, of this equation. And 
it's become increasingly clear that that's going to have to be a big a big part of these efforts as well. And when we talk about producing hydrogen, you know, we have green hydrogen that's produced by renewable energy, but then blue hydrogen, which would be produced by natural gas, and then also utilizing carbon capture and storage to, to capture the emissions from that. So that's that's another big growth area that's seen for, for the industry. For example, we recently saw Aramco, Saudi Arabia's state oil company, they're planning to to really try to capture that market for, for blue hydrogen. So there's a, there's a lot of room for growth there for and ways in which natural gas can contribute to this. The oil outlook is a little bit less um, bullish, I guess you could say. If if we are to achieve this two degree or less reduction or two degree or less increase in, in temperatures, Wood McKenzie says that in that scenario, oil demand may even start to decline as early as 2023. Now, I should be clear, they're not predicting that, but that's just one of many scenarios that they're that they're imagining. So, but even in that scenario, they say that by 2050, oil demand globally would still be at 35 million barrels a day. So, it still remains to be seen. Okay. Okay. So, before we wrap up on a related note, what's the latest on federal oil and gas leasing? Uh, Biden's obviously taken a different approach on that front as well. Yeah. So, one of his first actions upon taking office through the Department of the Interior was to put a pause on new federal leasing or I should say new leases uh, for oil and gas development on federal land and in the offshore. And this pause does not apply to drilling permits on existing leases, but they have essentially frozen new lease sales on federal property while they conduct an overhaul of the, of the federal leasing program. And this is one area where the oil and gas industry has expressed disagreement with with Biden and his and his climate policies and they're basically making the argument that states such as New Mexico and Wyoming that really rely on income royalties and taxes from these federal leases are going to really suffer from from this measure and I should say too and this is just me talking but I I have not really seen a convincing case that limiting or ending federal leasing would in fact lead to a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. I'm not saying it's not the case, but I just haven't seen it. And so this is something that remains to be seen. I know you wrote a story the other day on uh, on a hearing that was held in the Senate about the same issue. So this is this is one issue where, where the industry and the administration are not on the same page, but it, it remains to be seen how it will play out. Yeah, it's a relatively small piece of the overall pie, but but a big deal in terms of royalties for some of these smaller states in the West. Correct. Well, great. Appreciate the thorough analysis, Andrew. Uh, with that, allow me to wrap up by noting that NGI presents this podcast to help our subscribers make more informed business decisions about markets and the developments and news that drive them. To read Andrew's coverage and more, please visit and subscribe to NGI at naturalgasintelligence.com. Thanks, everyone, and thanks again, Andrew. Thanks, Kevin.